You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Medical Breakthroughs from the University of Pennsylvania Health Systems with your host, Northwestern University internist, Dr. Lee Friedman. Melanoma is the most dreaded form of skin cancer. How can we recognize this potential killer? And what are our latest surgical options for treatment? With me is Dr. Christopher Miller, the Director of Dermatologic Surgery and Assistant Professor of Dermatology at the University of Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Miller. Thank you, Lee. Well, melanoma, we all hear about melanoma, and we know that it is potentially a very serious malignancy. What actually is melanoma, though? What cells are there, and how do we see this cancer develop? Melanoma is a cancer of a type of cell in the epidermis called a melanocyte. You can think of the epidermis, the top layer of the skin, like a stack of bricks. And that stack of bricks is comprised of different types of cells. The two major cell types in the epidermis are keratinocytes. Those are the origins of squamous cell and basal cell cancers and melanocytes. The melanocytes typically sit in just the bottom layer of the epidermis. They're in the bottom layer of the stack of bricks, and they're typically a relatively quiescent cell. They don't replicate at the same rate that the keratinocytes do right next to it. And when one of these melanocytes gains a competitive growth advantage, you can develop a melanoma. This is a fairly common type of skin cancer? Melanoma is the third most common skin cancer by far, basal cell cancer and squamous cell cancers occur much more commonly. However, although it's only the third most common skin cancer, melanoma causes more skin-related deaths compared to all other skin cancers combined. And that's due to its potential for early metastasis through the bloodstream? That's true. So melanoma has an excellent prognosis if it is detected when it is still at a local stage and completely removed. Unfortunately, we don't have effective therapies for melanomas that have metastasized. By effective, I mean that they're reliable in every case. Certainly, there are cases of people who have developed metastatic melanoma and done very well, but in general, it's a very difficult disease to cure. And so the key here is to pick up on this early when it can be completely surgically excised? Exactly. Early detection and prevention are by far the most effective strategies to prevent melanoma-related deaths. The good news is is that the majority of melanomas go through a stage where they haven't yet developed metastatic potential. And by majority, I mean approximately 90%. So it's a minority of melanomas that are deadly from the moment that they're detected. So in terms of picking this up early, we need to do good detailed skin exams. Are there certain populations that we should be particularly watchful for this type of change? Absolutely. The people at greatest risk to develop melanoma epidemiologically are people with fair skin, light hair or red hair, light eyes, and extensive history of sun exposure or previous sunburns. So anybody who has light skin and a history of sun exposure is somebody who should seek evaluation with a dermatologist or another doctor comfortable examining the skin. There are other risk factors, too. If On top of those easy-to-identify risk factors, people with multiple moles on their body or a family history of melanoma or a previous history of melanoma, all those people should be 
monitored very closely as well. And with regard to the sun exposure, is there a differentiation in terms of a total cumulative exposure versus intensity of exposures with frequent sunburns? Sure. There are different types of melanoma as well. Not all melanomas are the same, and not all melanomas have similar appearances on the skin. A superficial spreading melanoma, the most common type of melanoma, occurs most commonly on the trunk and proximal extremities. These are areas that are more commonly exposed to intermittent intense sun exposure. These are areas that are typically covered for most of the time and will get sunburns when we go on vacation or we're out during the summertime. So intermittent intense sun exposure is a significant risk factor to develop the most common type of melanoma called a superficial spreading melanoma. However, that doesn't mean that chronic sun exposure is okay. Mm -hmm. There's another subtype of melanoma called a lentigo maligna melanoma, which occurs more commonly on the head and neck or the dorsal hands and forearms, areas that are more commonly exposed to regular cumulative sun exposure. So both intermittent intense sun exposure and cumulative sun exposure are bad. Certainly you want to avoid sunburns, the intense intermittent sun exposures, and you want to limit the amount of regular sun exposure that you get to all areas of the body. And given the relationship to sun exposure in the average patient and in the higher-risk patient, do we also, though, have to look between the toes, in the groin area, areas that don't get as much sun? Definitely. You can get melanomas anywhere. And there's a subtype of melanoma called an acral lentiginous melanoma. These melanomas occur usually at acral sites, like the hands and feet. And On the feet, for example, these are areas that are not commonly exposed to the sun or have a history of sunburns. So it's important to have a complete skin examination. Not all melanomas are related to sun exposure. There are other factors that we don't understand very well, but the most common and the best understood environmental risk factor is the sun and that is associated with a high percentage of melanomas, but certainly not all of them. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Medical Breakthroughs from the University of Pennsylvania on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and we are discussing melanomas with Dr. Christopher Miller, the Director of Dermatologic Surgery at the University of Pennsylvania. Dr. Miller, has sunscreen helped? Are we seeing a decrease in the incidence? The evidence about the efficacy of sunscreen is conflicting. I counsel my patients that they should rely on sunscreen as a last resort of protection. And the reason for that is that several studies show that people don't apply sunscreen effectively. Mm. And it's important to apply sunscreen effectively because that's what the numbers on the bottle are based on. The degree of sun protection depends on a certain thickness and application of the sunscreen. So in general, people under-apply sunscreen, and with activity, sunscreen just doesn't stay where we put it. Swimming or perspiration or things like that? perspiration, absolutely. Rubbing of clothing. Mm -hmm. So I counsel patients that the ideal sun protection strategy is 
first to be selective about the times that they're out in the sun. If they have a choice between doing something at the earlier in the morning or in the evening, that's always preferable to doing it in the middle of the afternoon. So a common example of that is working in the garden. Most people can find time to do that earlier in the morning rather than at the height of the sun Mm -hmm. in the middle of the day. Of course, we're all going to be out in the sun also during those peak hours. So clothing is the most effective cover-up that you can do. Clothes stay where we put them. And there are many companies now that manufacture comfortable long-sleeve, long-pant clothes that we can wear even on hot days and still be comfortable. I'm a runner and I play tennis, and in the middle of the summer I'll enjoy these sports still wearing a long sleeve shirt and a hat with sunglasses on. That's something I try to remind my patients as a person who probably would benefit from Propecia <laughs> to make sure you wear that hat because there's another area of a lot of sun exposure. Absolutely, and a lot of the skin cancers on the head and neck that I treat are on the scalp in patients who are balding and haven't protected their scalp. I think it's an area that we neglect because it's hard to see the top of our heads, and I'm not sure that sunburns on the top of our heads are as painful as in some other areas. We tend to tolerate a little bit more there than we can in other places. And as an internist, when I look at a person's skin, I'm thinking A, B, C, D, E. Are those the criteria that that we still are using for melanoma recognition? Yes, the American Academy of Dermatology does use these criteria of A, B, C, D, and E to help the lay person and medical professionals target lesions that are more likely to be melanomas. And in case your listeners aren't familiar with what the A, B, C, D, and E's of melanoma are, many melanomas have features of A, asymmetry. One side is different than the other if you were to cut it in half. B, borders are irregular. Many melanomas have a geometric configuration like the edge of a country on a map. C, colors, different colors, different shades of brown, tan, red, black, all in the same lesion. A uniform color to a lesion is often a better prognostic sign than multiple colors within the same lesion. D is diameter. The academy uses six millimeters as a cutoff for this part of the mnemonic. That is probably the least helpful of all of them. We've all seen melanomas smaller than six millimeters. A melanoma does not need to be large. They can also be small. And E is evolving. Evolving lesions are more suspicious Evolving lesion would be, for example, a mole that you've had for years and all of a sudden begins to change in size or color or to give you symptoms without provocation like itching or spontaneous bleeding. And are there any other particular clues on exam other than those five that we should be aware of? Yes. I counsel my patients that the most helpful thing, I think, is for patients to become familiar with all of the moles on their body. Now, that can be very difficult in patients that are literally covered with hundreds of moles. In those patients, they might benefit from excellent full-body photography that provides them a baseline against which they can compare serial examinations either by themselves or in a doctor's office. But for the average person who doesn't have hundreds of moles, 
we can get pretty good at recognizing whether we have a new mole that has arisen or whether a long-standing mole has changed in any way. For me, that's one of the most helpful ways for patients to feel confident in a self-examination. And it's important that patients feel confident because early detection is the most important and an educated patient is the best person to detect a skin cancer early. I want to thank Dr. Christopher Miller, Director of Dermatologic Surgery and Assistant Professor of Dermatology at the University of Pennsylvania for this very good update and review about melanoma and its diagnosis. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Medical Breakthroughs from the University of Pennsylvania Health Systems on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. To learn more about this or any other show, please visit us at ReachMD.com, where you can also register and sign up for access to our on-demand features. Thank you for listening.